In case you don't know me, that's who I am. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat these words after me. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now take your Bible and turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation is the last book in the Bible. You're going to turn to the third chapter of Revelation chapter 3. A lot has changed in my lifetime. When I was growing up, Sundays and Wednesdays were church days. It didn't matter whether you went to church or not, they were church days. They were set aside for church activities. And so we didn't have ball games, we didn't have band practices, we didn't have practices on Wednesdays, much less Sundays. But today, Wednesday is just like any other practice day and game day, and even Sundays are like any other day. And if your kid wants to make the team, and much less be a starter on the team, oftentimes they have to be willing to go to those practices, and they have to be willing to go to those tournaments and, and even miss church on Sunday. Things have changed. When I was growing up, pornography was, was hard to get to. And because of that, kids kept their innocence much longer than today. But now because of the internet, because of smartphones, because of the decline in nighttime television, pornography is much more prevalent today to the point that the average age that a child is exposed to porn today is 11 years old. By 11 years old, most children are exposed to porn. Listen to this one. A statistic that recently came out that just blew my mind as I read it. Children under 10, under 10, now account to 22% of online pornography consumption among those 18 and under. Children under 10. When I was growing up, my dad publicly opposed a liquor store being, being built close to our church. And because of that, he made some enemies. And some of those enemies got so mad at my dad that they literally shot into our house on a Sunday night. Today, pastors will hardly take a stand on anything because we're afraid of offending someone or of being misunderstood. When I was growing up, homosexuality was few and far between. Yeah, there were people who practiced homosexuality, but but it was seen as an aberration. It was seen as something that was both unnatural and sinful. And, and by the grace of God, we sought to deliver people who, who were enslaved to homosexuality. Today, homosexuality seems to be growing in our society. And, and it's not only growing as a lifestyle, it is celebrated all across our country. And it's even celebrated in many churches today. But this past week, I saw something that, that triggered me. 
It, it set me off. It lit me up. We were in Nashville to celebrate one of our grandchildren's first birthday. And while we were there, my daughter brought a, a commercial for me to watch. It was a Twix candy commercial, a Halloween commercial. And it had this little boy dressed up as a princess. Not a prince. He was dressed up as a princess. And there was a ring at the door, and, and he went and opened the door, and it was his new nanny, a witch. A real witch. And this witch was there to protect this little boy who was a cross-dressing 10-year-old little boy from other children who would make fun of him or bully him to the point that at the end of the commercial when one child on the playground was questioning the other child wearing a princess outfit the witch caused the other little boy to blow away took him out of the picture now that bothers me for two reasons first of all it is teaching young children to question their sexual identity. The Bible makes it clear that God created us male and female. And even at an early age of 8, 10, 12 years old, we're having commercials that are encouraging children to cross-dress. That's not right. And then second, there was this witch who was there to get rid of anyone who was opposed to that kind of lifestyle. And that's certainly not right. Now, I believe Jesus has a word to say about that. In Matthew 18, Jesus is speaking, and this is what he says. He says, but if you cause one of these little ones, one of these children who trust in me to fall into sin... It would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. And that's what I am afraid that we are doing today. We are causing an entire generation of elementary age, middle school age, high school age kids to fall into sin. And the Bible says that it would be better for us to cast a stone around our neck and be thrown into the sea and drowned than to do that. Now understand, I don't blame Hollywood for this. I don't blame the politicians in Washington for this. I don't blame the media or the teachers union or the radical left for this, even though each and every one of those organizations are somewhat complicit in this. You know who I blame? I blame us. I blame the church. I blame me. I blame the people of God who claim to have been changed by the Spirit of God and who claim to believe the Word of God for saying nothing. I blame us. The early church was born during a time of moral degradation and spiritual confusion. The early Christians were persecuted, they were thrown into prison, they were put to death. And yet, within several centuries, the church had not only survived, it had so influenced the culture of its day that in 337 A.D., the Roman Emperor Constantine became a Christian. But today, 
we are not in danger of losing our influence on culture. We have lost our influence on culture. Spiritual leaders like, like Jerry Faldwell and D. James Kennedy and Adrian Rogers and others sought to, to fight back back in the 70s and the early 80s, but they only slowed down the march of secularism. They didn't stop it. And today, we find ourselves in the place where we are today in America, where the church has not only lost its influence, but we are in danger of becoming non-existent. If the statistics are correct, 80 to 90% of churches today are either plateaued, they're flatlined, or they're declining. That means that they are dying a slow death. They become irrelevant. And depending on which research you listen to, between 4,000 and 10,000 churches every single year are closing their door in America. Now, how did this happen? How did we get to the place we are today? I believe it is because the church has been lulled to sleep by our culture. We bought into the lie that if we would just keep quiet, if we will mind our own business, if we will do our own thing, the world will leave us alone, but that's not what the world does. You see, the prince of this world, Satan, wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants complete control. No matter what, the bumper stickers may say, this world does not want to peacefully coexist with us. It can't. This world wants to destroy us, our kids, and our grandkids. And unless we wake up and begin to fight, we will be overcome. You see, the church isn't on some leisurely stroll on a Sunday afternoon across Lake Murray Dam. The church is marching into battle against the forces of darkness that are seeking to hold captive the people of this world. So what do we do? Well, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, John has received this message from the resurrected Lord. And it is a message to seven churches in Asia Minor. These were seven literal existing churches that were alive and well and vibrant in, in John's day. But many people believe that these seven churches are also representative of churches today. In other words, as you read about these churches and Revelation 2 and 3, you will see descriptions of a variety of churches all across the world today. And there are some that believe that, that these seven churches are representative of seven church ages. In other words, the first church that we read about in Revelation 2 was, was the church that was there when Jesus um, was resurrected and was birthed at that point in time. And, and then we move on through history and the final church before Jesus returns is the church at Laodicea. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, 
But what I do know is there is a message for us in this message to the churches. And I believe for our day and our church here in America, the message that we need to hear is in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 and following. The message to the church at Sardis. So I want you to listen to what Jesus says, beginning about midway through verse 1, and I'm just going to read through verse 3. Now listen to what it says. I know all the things you do, and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you were dead. Now let that sink in. The resurrected Jesus is telling this church in Sardis, I know you have a reputation. Everybody believes that you are a live, vibrant church, but you are dead. And then Jesus says this, he says, wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first, hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as, as unexpected as a thief. Now this church had a name. This church had a good reputation. But understand, man's evaluation is not always God's evaluation. God doesn't just look at the surface. God looks below the surface and he sees the real you and he sees the real church all across america today there are churches including ours that have a lot of people that come that have a lot of money coming in that are doing a lot of things in the community but all of these outward signs do not indicate true life when God spoke to Samuel and was telling him who the next king of Israel was going to be, God says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. You see, the church can paint a pretty picture, and the church can, can attract a crowd, and the church can do all kinds of things, but that doesn't mean that the church is really seeing lives change and the culture change. I'm convinced that the real sign of life in a church is changed lives. When there are changed lives in the church, things happen. And yet I'm afraid that for the most part, churches in America have the kind of religion that Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 3 when he says they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. They've never experienced the true power of God. The power of God to, to change lives, the power of God to restore marriages, the power of God to, to give a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, the power of God that turns people from darkness to life. We need to see the power of God changing lives. And do we really see that? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul was talking to the church at Corinth, and this is what he said. 
He says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Did you hear that? The wicked are not going to be a part of the kingdom of God. And then he says this, don't be deceived. Remember, Satan is the deceiver. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that if you are living in that sin, you're not going to heaven. Understand that if you are living in a sinful lifestyle, that is representative of a fact, and that fact is you have never been changed. But then Paul goes on to say this. He says, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. In other words, the power of God changed your life. This is what you were, but you're not that anymore. You have been radically changed. You see, if a church is alive, people are going to be changed from the inside out. If a church is alive, people are going to be delivered from sin. If a church is alive, marriages are going to be restored. If a church is alive, that church is going to affect culture rather than culture affecting that church. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you, you came to church and you were broken over your sin, over the sin of your children, over the sin of your grandchildren, over the sin in our nation? When is the last time you came to this altar or you just sat in your seat bawling like a baby because of sin? The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that when Peter preached, they were cut to their heart. They were overwhelmed with their sin. That's a sign of life. A sign of life is that we realize sin separates us from God and, and we want to be set free from the power of sin. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, God makes us new people. So how does that happen? How do we move from death being a, a place where we don't see life change to a place where our culture is literally being transformed by the power of God through the church? Well, Jesus gives the church at Sardis several things to do. And it begins with this word. He says, wake up. The church was asleep. They were asleep to the point of death. Historically, Sardis had fallen twice because the guards were not paying attention. They had been lulled to sleep and the enemy came in and destroyed the city. And the Bible teaches that when we fall asleep spiritually, 
We are in a place where the enemy can take us captive. And Jesus says we need to wake up from our sleep. The church has been asleep for long enough. The people of God have sat on the sidelines long enough. We have been silent long enough. We have not stood up to the forces of darkness long enough. If we don't stand up now as the people of God, I'm here to tell you, for America, it's going to be too late. We are almost about to go over the waterfall right now. And when we do, there's no coming back. We better wake up. Now, what does that look like? Waking up, biblically, is referring to revival. It's referring to someone who has been awake, but they have fallen asleep, and now their eyes are open, and they return to the one they love. Waking up is, is realizing where we are and what is going on and, and beginning to be proactive and making a difference. We don't wake up. We have no. And listen, it's up to you. It's, it's up to me. In the 1970s, J. Edwin Orr was preaching a series of revivals at Columbia International University. It used to be known as Columbia Bible College. And J. Edwin Orr was, I mean, he was the mere person on revival back in the last century. And, and, and after he preached a message, one of the students came up to him and said, Dr. Orr, what can I do besides pray that will help bring in revival? And without hesitating, Dr. Orr looked at the student and said, you can let it begin with you. And that's what I would say to you. If you're, if you're tired of where we are as the people of God make difference in our culture, then it's up to you, it's up to me to make a difference. It's, it's, it's time to quit sitting on the sidelines. It's, it's time to quit keeping silent. It's time to stop staying home. It's time to start getting involved because if we don't, let me tell you, your kids and your grandkids, they're going to grow up in a country that doesn't even know who Jesus is. That's how quickly things are changing. If you would have told me back 30, 40 years ago that we would be where we are today in America, I would have laughed at you. I would have said there is no way that we would be where we are, but here we are teaching 8-year-olds and 10-year-olds to cross-dress, teaching them through commercials on TV to question the gender that God gave them. That's where we are. And if you think that's all right, then spiritually you are asleep. That's not all right. We have fallen asleep and our nation is going to 
prepare. It's time to wake up. Next, Paul tells us that we need to look back. He says, remember the things that you have received and heard. In other words, he says, wake up, get out of your sleep, look around, see what's going on. And then he says, you need to look back and remember. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about going back to that moment in time when you first fell in love with Jesus. I want you to listen to me. I'm speaking to the church here. I'm speaking to you who are who are born again believers in Jesus Christ. There was a point in your life where Jesus changed. It was a moment in time. For me, I was a kid. I was nine years old. I had done a lot of bad things. I mean, what, what can you do when you're nine? I mean, you can learn some cuss words, you can go smoke a cigarette behind a barn, but there's just not a whole lot of stuff you could do, especially when I was nine. But, but at nine years old, I, I knew for the very first time in my heart that I was lost, I was a sinner, I was headed to hell, and I needed a Savior whose name was Jesus, and I didn't understand it all, but oh, I desperately wanted to be set free from sin. I wanted Jesus to take control of my life, and as a little nine-year-old, I gave Jesus every single part of me I knew to give him. He changed my life. I'm just here to tell you, he changed my life as a nine-year-old. I began to want to read the Bible. I, I wanted to pray. I wanted to tell other people about Jesus. I, I wanted to live a pure, holy life. I, I didn't want to say bad words on the playground at school. I wanted to treat people the way I was supposed to treat them. Jesus changed my life. And, and I'm here to tell you, look at me. If you've been saved, you've had an experience like that. It may not be just like mine, but there was a point in your life where you were overwhelmed with your guilt before a holy God, and you knew your only hope was Jesus, and you gave him your life, and through a miracle, his spirit came to live in you and begin to make you brand new. And if you haven't had that kind of experience, hear me. You need it. Because that's what being born again is all about. It's being made new from the inside out. And Jesus was telling the people in the church at Sardis, you need to go back and remember how you first heard and received the gospel. Rediscover that first love. When you fell in love with Jesus. Wake up. Remember how it was to be in love with Jesus. And then he says hold fast to that. Don't forget it. And then he says let go. Repent. Turn from those things that will separate you from God. You see, as followers of Jesus, our desire is not to be controlled by sin. Our desire is to be controlled by the Spirit of God. But when we're controlled by sin, we're no different than the world. 
And, and we will never make a difference in the world. Romans chapter 13, Paul is talking to the church at Rome. And, and this is what he says, beginning in verse 11. He says, wake up. For our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. He's talking about our final salvation when Jesus comes back. He said the night is almost gone, this present age. The day of salvation will be here soon. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. Put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or sexual promiscuity or immoral living or quarreling or jealousy. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Repent. Turn from your sin. Oh, listen. If there's any hope for America, it's found right here. We're the ones who can influence our culture with the gospel of Jesus. We're the ones who can win the war against the forces of evil. We're the ones who can change the tide. But we got to wake up. We've got to open our eyes to how bad it is. We need to remember how it was when we first fell in love with Jesus and return to that first love. And we need to turn away from anything and everything that is sinful that will keep us from being the people that we need to be. And if we do that, God will use us. But the message doesn't end there. Jesus ends with a warning. In verse 3, he says, if you don't wake up, did you hear that? There's a chance that we, we won't wake up. We'll stay asleep. We'll We'll stay in our slumber. We'll continue down the path we are, and, and we're going to lose everything. He says, if you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. What is he talking about? He's talking about he's going to come back, and we're not going to be ready. He's going to come back, and we're going to be ashamed. Because we didn't wake up. We didn't return to our first love. We didn't turn away from anything and everything inside and outside that's going to keep us from our Lord and making a difference in the world. I don't know about you, but I am concerned. I'm concerned to the point that I'm going to ask God to show me how I can make a difference. Because it's too important that my grandkids fall in love with Jesus it's too important for me that my grandkids have an opportunity to live in a nation where they can freely worship their Lord those are the things I want for them and those are the things that we're going to lose if we don't stand up if we don't wake up I want you to bow your heads close your eyes with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, I want to ask you two things. One, have you been born again? Have you been born again? 
Have you had an experience with Jesus where your life has been changed? You've turned from sin, you've trusted Jesus, and His Spirit has come to live in you, making you new, different than you were before. Knock. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Today, admit your sin, turn from that sin, place your trust in Jesus, surrender your life to Him. Let Him save you. Say, Rocky, what do I need to do? What I said, acknowledge your sin. Turn from that sin today. Say, God, I don't want to be controlled by sin anymore. Place your trust in Jesus. The one who died on the cross in your place so that you could be set free. Just ask him to fill you with his spirit. And if you're sincere, he will love you. Now if you're here and you're a Christian, you may think I'm being overdramatic. Dear brothers and sisters, I'm not. I'm pleading with you, wake up. Wake up. Before your children and your grandchildren lose everything. It's that big of a deal. Right now, make a commitment to God that you're going to come clean. You're going to return to that first love. You're going to get engaged. Whatever that looks like. Father God, forgive us. Forgive me. At times, Father, I feel like I don't know what to do. I, at other times, I feel like standing here on this stage and just preaching is enough, and yet I know it's not. Father, give us the wisdom to know how to engage our culture and change our culture for your glory. Give us a heart for holiness and purity and righteousness. Give us the courage to take a stand regardless of what it costs. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name.